I also want to recognize today being Memorial Day weekend, uh, just for those of you that have had uh, family members that served, uh, that have gave their life, uh, we, we honor them today, uh, following the Lord's example of laying down their life for people. Uh, so we want to rem- think about them as well this weekend for those of you that have lost loved ones. So uh, that being said, today is going to be kind of, you know, I'd love to say this is going to be one of those feel-good messages, but it's, it's probably not, and we, maybe that's what we need today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper. Uh, today we're going to take a break from our Revelation series uh, to talk about the Lord's Supper. Most believers, hopefully, if you're in this room today, you have an idea of what it is and why we observe it. Uh, if you've been through discipleship, if you're in the process, we actually have a, a, a set of lessons on the ordinances, and, one, and of course, being the Lord's Supper and, and baptism. So uh, this may not be new ground for some of you, but it's good to get a refresher. Uh, unfortunately, and the reason why is, unfortunately, we've already seen in Revelation uh, that throughout church history, there has been an attempt by Satan to corrupt God's word, God's doctrine, uh, and God's people. His ordinances are no different, as we will see today. Uh, so in light of that, Jay kind of and I had a discussion, and we thought it would be good, to, as we are observing the Lord's Supper, uh, to kind of take a, a moment to make sure we understand what it is, but also make sure we understand what it is not. Not from my perspective, not from your perspective, but from the Lord's perspective. Uh, so we want to, the Bible is the authority in this church, uh, and it's always going to be the authority in this church as long as that man's drawing breath and as long as I'm drawing breath. Uh, so, uh, and I hope we all have that same uh, mindset today. So biblically, we're going to talk about that today. So uh, let me pray, and we will get into the lesson today. Thank you for being here. Dear God, we love you. Uh, as we uh, kind of talk about this subject, as we talk about something as serious uh, as what this subject is, dear God, I just, I really pray that we, even before we even start, that we get our hearts and we get our minds right. I pray that, uh, that right now, it, maybe we already know the subject matter, maybe we already know what we're going to talk about. I pray that we would just already start uh, examining ourselves uh, and just our life and uh, the things that, and our conduct, dear God. And if there's anything today, and I, I'll start with me, I confess my sin. If there's anything uh, that I need to lay down, dear God, I pray that I would do that. And I pray that uh, we would all do that today, that we could just uh, put that aside uh, so we can do the mission that you've set us out to do. Uh, and Lord, today as we look, approach your word, I pray that uh, you would just get me out of the way. I know that I'm nothing. I admit that. Uh, and uh, these people know that I'm nothing. And I'm okay with that, dear God. But you are everything. And I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that you would get me out of the way. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be te- the teacher today as he teaches us exactly what we would know. And about your, uh, the Lord's Supper uh, and the things maybe that we think we know that uh, maybe we need to uh, lay down and set aside. I love you. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be up here. and uh, I just pray that you would just bless and it is your time and it is your people. And we love you. All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 So, do my, I, I probably should have got some uh, Kleenex up here today, but we'll be good. So, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we'll be going through 18 through 34. Uh, but before we do that, I do want to look at verse 2. If you could go ahead and go to that for me. It says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. 
So what we see here is that we have a ordinance that we're going to talk about and what that actually means. But it also means that Paul, as he's making these missionary journeys, as he's establishing these churches, he delivered the instruction from the Lord that God had given him. So it's very important that we understand that this comes from church leadership, which it came from the Lord. It didn't come from anything that man's tradition. It didn't come from anything... Uh, that they made up. This was something biblical that God had given to Paul, and he's delivered that to the church here at Corinth. So the first thing we want to look at is the uh, continuation. All your blanks are going to be seized today because uh, that's just what pastors do. Uh, so there you go. Uh, that goes in your blank. Continuation goes in your blank. So we're going to be looking at the meaning of an ordinance. And you should have notes. If you don't have notes, uh, they're $5 at this point. So Five more minutes will be ten, so you know we're 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 going by uh, our inflation that we have in our unfortunately in our society today. So, so that was free. We'll probably get cut off here in just a second. So, so the meaning of an ordinance: an ordinance is ordained by the Lord Jesus Christ, and upon His authority and institution, and following the practice of the apostles, we receive the ordinances of the church from Him and Him alone. Uh, and it was given to the apostles, and they gave it out to the congregation. So it is ordained by the Lord. It's not ordained by men. Again, it's not their tradition. Uh, the next thing that we want to see is there is a mark of an ordinance. Mark goes in your blank. We couldn't have all C's. We had to do M's in between the subjects. So, so the mark of an ordinance. It is an outward symbol divinely appointed to represent a great truth of the gospel. And the personal relationship of the believer to that fact and truth. So as we're looking at the Lord's Supper today, we need to understand, just like baptism, it is an outward exercise that we do that shows uh, an inward change in our life and what God did for us on the cross. Uh, and we remember that. And so we, it, it's basically, it's a great truth, and it's a picture, and it's a type, and we're going to see that as we go through these verses today. Uh, it's something that we need to take very seriously. Uh, it was given by a divine mandate, and its observance is obligatory. In other words, we have to do it, and it's perpetual. So that means that we should keep going until the Lord comes back. Uh, and I pray that's today. Uh, but if not, we're going to keep doing it till he comes. Uh, because that's what God told us to do. Uh, so that is the mark. It's an outward symbol. And then we want to see the administration of an ordinance. Uh, who does it? Well, according to Scripture, it's by New Testament Bible-believing churches. And unfortunately, in the, where we are in society today, that is, we are a remnant at this point uh, that would say that we're Bible-believing churches. Uh, there's probably a lot of people that actually say they are, but are they really? It's probably less, I would say. First um, Corinthians eleven seventeen through 18, you may not have it on the screen, but it says, Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. But first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Uh, so what we need to talk about today uh, is the continuation of that. And the, it is a uh, symbolic exercise. And I'm probably going to start meddling at this point, and that's okay. It's not sacramental. And for those of you, I want to be respective to, uh, respectful to your church backgrounds, and we're thankful that you're here. And we've kind of seen this in some of the study of Revelation. Uh, 
throughout church history, we've seen that maybe we've taken some things that God has given to us through his leadership and his apostles, and we've put our own little spin on it. Uh, and unfortunately, we saw that in church history, and we see it even in churches today. It is symbolic, not sacramental. What does that mean? Well, first of all, they are not, an ordinance is not a channel of grace. And what that means is uh, it's called sacramentalism. Uh, you can, if you've got some margins or if you want to cut right on the back, this was used by unbiblical churches to threaten excommunication or damnation to those who don't receive the Lord's Supper or baptism. Uh, and, and it also, you, we want, at this point, we want to talk about transubstantiation, and that's a big word, uh, and I'll get Jay to spell it later. Um, but what that means is, is some churches and some doctrines hold that the doctrine of transubstantiation, which is a false doctrine, that the body... And the blood somehow turns into the fruit of the vine and the bread that you're going to take today. Well, that is false. It's, it's a heresy, and we're going to see that. Uh, it's, it's really false doctrine, and I really can't even, I can't even uh, excuse it. We can't condone it uh, because it's not accurate to what the Bible says. So, uh, so the, the Jews, when we see this as the continuation, they look back to the past uh, in Luke twenty two fifteen, it said, And he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And so the Jews, or before I suffer, excuse me, the Jews look back to this uh, as uh, going back to the Passover supper. If you look at Exodus twelve thirteen through 14, it says, And the blood t- shall be to you for a token upon the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Uh, and so, right, even today, they, they still keep this Passover supper. It's not a Lord's supper to them, it's a Passover supper. Uh, well, that Passover supper included the unleavened bread, and that signified the spotless sacrifice that was broken for the sins of Israel. That's what we see it as. Uh, the Passover supper looked back historically for the deliverance of Israel out of the bondage from Egypt. Well, as the Jews have a perspective of this, well, the church also has a perspective of this. The church has looked back to the past. Uh, Luke twenty-two nineteen says, And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. So the Lord Jesus Christ took it a step further, and he, his audience, obviously, all of his apostles were Jews. But he said, that unleavened bread represented me. Uh, that sacrifice, the Passover supper, uh, the body that was broken and the sacrifice then, that was a type or a picture of me. You do this in remembrance of me now, or the sacrifice that I'm going to lay down on the cross of Calvary. Uh, and so that really takes it up a, a, a notch at that point. And they, even the disciples at that point, they didn't know exactly, they still didn't understand. Uh, but they were going to understand pretty soon after that. And so the Lord's Supper looks back to when Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, was broken for the sins of the world on the cross of Calvary. And I'm thankful for that today. And we sang about that today. Uh, next, the church looks to the future. Uh, and so even today as we do this, as we do this a little later, this is looking forward uh, to, his, to his coming. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For as, ye, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you do show the Lord's death till he come. Uh, and so we need to be doing this and looking forward to the time that he comes back to get us. Uh, and I'm praying that is very soon. So uh, next we want to see point number two, the Lord's Supper's consternation. And raise your hand if you've used that word this week. So, uh, yeah, so... Um, consternation, and that word simply means that something is frustrating you or something that you're uh, not happy with. So, uh, we want to look at God's dismay at division and heresies. And unfortunately, when you have churches and you have people, there's always the possibility of division and heresies going on. And it was going on at the church at Corinth. Uh, they were a church that were blessed beyond measure, they had talent, they had money. They had all the gifts, the spiritual gifts, and unfortunately, when you throw all those things together in the pot, then uh, people are going to try to take advantage of that. And so 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen through 19 says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. And, you know, why, let me stop here. Can you imagine, and, you know, anybody hate to get bad news in the mail? You know, yeah, I, I know I do. I, I dread looking. Most of the time, if it's bad news, we, it's, a, it's a bill, right? You know, that's it. Can you imagine getting a, getting a letter from Paul and thinking, this is probably not going to be good? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, yeah, so that's probably what they were thinking at this point. And I don't, I don't know, you know, these letters, it says they're epistles. Uh, so, you know, can you, you get one? Man, that first one was really bad. <laughs> I hope the second one's better, you know. Anyway, uh, that's kind of some of the things my mind thinks about, so. Uh, so he says, now in this I declare to you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also, must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be manifest among you. And so the bad news just came. Paul's calling them out on something else again. Uh, that there to be divisions and heresies. So let's break this down. First, we want to talk about divisions. Uh, divisions are simply schisms or splintered groups within the body. Uh, and so you can kind of look at this. If we have, you got your group over here that gets together, and you got your group over here that gets together, and that group's usually talking about this group, and this group's talking about this group, and then you have another group that's talking about both of the groups. Uh, and unfortunately, that's what happens sometimes in churches. Uh, and so what is the cause of this, you would say? Well, it's carnality. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 3 through 4 says this, For ye are yet carnal. So in other words, you're still carnal. You're not growing. Uh, that's why discipleship is so important. That's why submission to authority is so important. For whereas there is among you en envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? And so, again, they had a problem with this because it was always, well, Paul discipled me, or Apollos discipled me, or Paul, you know, he baptized me, Apollos uh, baptized me, and he even goes on to say, I'm thankful I didn't baptize any of you, uh, except for a few, uh, because of this is, I'm just not proud of you at this point. And so, if you aren't in line doctrinally slash biblically with your church, it will cause a schism. You know, there has to be unity, a spirit of fellowship. We just had a new membership class uh, just, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, and kind of laid out for us, you know, for those 
uh, candidates exactly what we believe and what we don't believe. We're very transparent here. Just ask us. And so we need to under, if you're going to join this church, if you're going to be participating in things, we need to be unified. There needs to be a spirit of fellowship here. Uh, and if you're not interested in that, then go find another church that's not. Because we want to be unified, because it pleases God. Psalm 133.1 says this, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And obviously the opposite of that, if you're disunified, it is not good, and it is not pleasant. Uh, and it's not fun to be around, just to be honest. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. And there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so the reason that Paul's admonishing them and trying to correct them, because there is the possibility that you can be unified. There is the possibility that you can be together. You can have the same mind. You can have the same judgment. If you will just walk with the Lord, walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We can be unified. But we can also be not unified, and we can also be against each other. And God's not interested in that. We don't want to be interested in that. Uh, this verse is not on your screen, but Matthew 5. As we're talking about the Lord's Supper today, uh, if you remember the, the two brothers that had, they were, one of them had brought a gift to the altar, right? And they had all against each other. He told him, he said, you be reconciled to your brother. You leave your gift there. You get right with your brother and then you come to the altar. And so I would encourage all of us today, if we've got something against our brother or our sister, uh, you know, be reconciled. Work it out. That's what we're supposed to do. Matthew 18 says we're supposed to do that. And go directly to them. Don't come to me. Don't come to Jay. Go to them. Work it out. God's big enough to fix any problem that you've got. Uh, he's big enough to fix any division that you've got. If you will just submit to that authority. Uh, and that's free. Matthew, that's Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Uh, lastly, Proverbs 6, 16 through 18. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and the hands that shed innocent blood. And everybody's like, well, I haven't done any of that. I'm doing good. Right? Well, he didn't stop. Um, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. You may think, I'm still okay. 19. A false witness that speaketh lies. And lastly, he that soweth discord among the brethren. And unfortunately, you reap what you sow. Uh, Galatians 6 talks about that. And so there's the possibility of planting that seed of discord in this body or in anybody that you may be a part of. And God is not pleased with that. He looks at that as an abomination. He hates it. Uh, and we, as believers, need to hate it too. And if we see it, we need to address it. Uh, and so what is the source, you might say, of... Division. Well, according to the scripture, it's heresy. Uh, heresy. Heresy is false doctrine resulting in division within the body of Christ. And you may think, well, I'm not spreading, you know, I'm not spreading false doctrine. I'm, you know, I agree with everything Jay says, and praise the Lord. Um, well, Galatians 5:19 says that it's the work of the flesh, and we had we talked about this on Wednesday night as we talked about some of the the works of the spirit and the works of the flesh as we were continuing up in our MTT stuff. And this list is pretty long. Uh, and as we're going through this, you, as we need to self-examine and see if we, any of these things apply to us. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest. So in other words, you can see them. 
if you start looking with spiritual eyes, you can see them. It says, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath. Here we go. Strife, seditions, heresies. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and just in case God missed anything and he didn't, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so these heresies, these false doctrines that you see, they can come from two different places. They can come from internally, or they can come from externally. But they're always going to get manifest. Eventually, they're always going to... It always comes creeping to the surface. It always rears its ugly head. And we see this in Scripture. 2 Peter 2.1 talks about this. It says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily, and there's that word privily, so that means it's done behind the scenes, uh, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So even though it was done privily, these things were manifest. First John 2.19 says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So in other words, it's all, they're always going to show themselves at some point. And it's, also, it's going to be evident. You even see this in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 13, 13, it says, Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. So these people were part of the congregation, but they went out and they drew people away uh, into doctrine, and false doctrine and heresy. So your first key, and it only took us... 20 minutes to get there. So your first key, heresy always results in division. It must be addressed by church leadership. So if you get wind of this and if you, get, you see that it's going on, then you need to tell somebody. And I'm not saying anything is going on in this church, and I'm thankful that it's not. But if it ever gets to this point, you better go tell somebody. Always report it up. Uh, so Romans sixteen seventeen says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned them, which you have learned, and avoid them. Titus three ten says, A man is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Uh, so once we once you've went to them and once you've went to church leadership and if they continue in that, then we're not to have fellowship with them. Uh, we are supposed to reject that. So because you know it's just not what God wants us to do. Next thing, God's disgust with defilement. All right, so let's, let's get back in 1 Corinthians 11 there. So in verse 20, it says this, When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. And I, I, I love Paul. I love his writing because he always, when he, when he does the what in the question mark, that's when he, he's like calling you out at that point. You know, he's like, he can, why? I mean, why? That's, you know, he's saying, what? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not, which I shall say, shall say to you, shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So what was going on in, in, the, in the church at Corinth is these people were coming together at the Lord, saying it's the Lord's Supper, 
hey, we're going to have a Lord's Supper, you know, and then there, it's a buffet. I mean, it's like a potluck dinner. Everybody's bringing a meal. They're bringing drinks. They're, it's, and it's turning into a defilement. And God and Paul's, you know, calling them out. What are you doing? If you're going to do this, stay at home. Uh, don't brand it as something as an ordinance of the Lord, and you're defiling the picture. I and mean, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, you know, the Lord's Supper was to stand alone. It wasn't, again, it wasn't a potluck. It's not a, and it's also not a time for don't work, don't eat. There were people that didn't have, you know, they couldn't bring anything because they didn't have anything. And so people were like, well, you didn't bring anything. You're not eating. You know, so they're starving. The other people are, you know, being gluttons. And it's, it's wrong on both accounts. Uh, so, you know, and they were saying, well, if you didn't bring, you're not worthy to do this because you didn't bring anything. So it was just a total, just, distortion of what God had called them to do in the in scripture and so I'll stop here for just a second whether it be marriage the ordinances is baptism or in this case the Lord's Supper God is not pleased when his types or his pictures that point to his son are distorted misrepresented or miscommunicated uh, so you know we need to take these things seriously what we're going to do today we need to take very seriously we need to take the picture of marriage very seriously uh, you know, we need to take all these things very seriously because they all point to something, that, a, a truth, a, a tr- biblical truth that God is trying to communicate about his son, Jesus Christ. And so we need to take those things very seriously. Ask Moses about it. Uh, you've got it on the screen. You may not be able to see Numbers 20. Hopefully you can see that. Um, and Moses was the meekest man. It says he was recorded as the meekest man. He was, a, he was God's man. He was faithful. But he had that one moment where he messed up God's picture, and it cost him. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock. There had already been one instance where he had told him to to strike the rock, and he had done that, and water had come out. Um, So the rock had already been struck. He told him to speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. Every word is pure. It doesn't say it's water. It says his water. Uh, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. Thou, so thou shalt give the congregation their beast drink. And Moses, he got frustrated. You know, it happens. Unfortunately, this was the wrong time. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Here now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with this rod, he, with his rod, he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. It cost him, it cost him an inheritance at that point. Uh, and he, God was true to that. He let him see it, but he didn't let him go over uh, because he messed up the picture. And so we need to take God's pictures and types very seriously uh, because it can cost us at the judgment seat of Christ. Um, the, next, number three, the Lord's Supper's commemoration. And so we want to talk about now the individual elements of the Lord's Supper and what they represent. The first thing we want to look at is the commemoration of the body of Christ. body goes in your blank. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24 says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. So Paul had 
at one time, he commun- during the time when he's getting prepared for his ministry, God, Jesus Christ, had delivered this to him personally. He said, I have received of the Lord, because Paul wasn't at the Lord's Supper. He wasn't at the Passover Supper before Jesus was crucified. But yet he says, Jesus Christ gave this to me, um, which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So we, the bread that we're talking about at the, Lord's tup, at the Lord's table is only a top of his body. It's top goes in your blank. Uh, and as you go through scripture, God uses tops to communicate truths. Uh, and here he's talking about uh, the truth of the death, burial, and the resurrection. John 6, 48 through 51. Uh, Jesus Christ speaking to the disciples and others at this time. He had several. He didn't just have the, the, the 12 at this time. There were several people that were following him. He says, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Again, he, he doubles down. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Uh, and immediately, as soon as he says this, man, people started leaving because they didn't understand the type or the picture that he was talking about. Uh, they didn't understand that he was speaking symbolically. He wasn't talking about uh, his actual body and bread uh, that they were to consume as in transubstantiation. John 6, 63, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. And they're like, eh, I don't really, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that the disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up when he, where he was before? Is it the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing? The words, it's, this, is where, this is the key. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So the broken unleavened bread pictures Jesus' broken, sinless flesh, which was nailed on the cross. Uh, and it's a type or a picture. Yeah, so make sure we're clear on that. Next is the commemoration of the blood of Christ. Blood glows in your blame. So verse 25 says, After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped and said, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we're talking about a representation or the type of the blood of Christ. And what we're talking about is not wine. It's the fruit of the vine. Fruit of the vine. Uh, that is the type that we're going to talk about, the blood, type of the blood of Christ. Uh, so Matthew 26 through 29, this three times, three different accounts in the Gospels. He doesn't say wine. He says fruit of the vine. And words are important. Uh, and how do I know they're different? From how, does, how do I know that fruit of the vine is different from wine? Well, just like my pastor is off to say, because they're spelled different. So, and you too can be the pastor, the next one. So, so uh, three times again he says this, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Mark 14, 25, Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. There's your, and one more time in Luke 22, 18, there's your two to three witnesses. So the fruit of the vine used at the Lord's table is only a type of his blood, and it's used only 
in connection with the Lord's table. Uh, and so, and you might say, well, maybe you're meddling. I'm not, I'm just going by what Scripture says. If you look at 1 Timothy, you know, when Paul is talking to Timothy about his infirmities and uh, the things, you know, he tells him, he doesn't say drink a little bit of fruit of the vine for your stomach's sake. He says drink some wine. So that means they're different. Uh, so we need to talk about what the fruit of the vine actually is. Genesis 40, 11. There are two examples in the Old Testament, actually. Uh, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. This is Joseph. And I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 14. Butter of kine and milk of sheep with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat. And thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. So the pure blood of the grape, the fruit of the vine, is what comes out when it's crushed. So if you take a grape, we're not talking about fermentation. We're not talking about it going through any other process other than the pressing of the grape. What comes out? Juice. Grape juice. Wine doesn't come out of that. Grape juice comes out. It's the fruit of the vine. Uh, that's what we're talking about. And it's a symbol. It's a type. Uh, and so... Nothing else we're going to do. We're, when we observe this, we're going to do grapes, grape juice because that's what God told us to do. Next, number four, the Lord suffers conviction. And this is where we start kind of wind, narrowing the focus in on us a little bit individually. So, so this is a supper for consecrated people. And consecrated just simply means that you're set apart, that you're, you are striving to be holy. Uh, and we know, obviously, within, in and of ourselves, there's nothing good about us. There's nothing righteous. Um, but we know that Jesus Christ is holy, and he's righteous. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven says this, Wherefore, whosoever shall eateth, eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, and here's the key, unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Well, what we're talking about is two different. Unworthy is not unworthily, again, because they're spelled different. Uh, so we need to understand that we're talking about there's no one worthy other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we're talking about the manner or how we do a thing. We're not talking about the person in and of itself. So our conduct can either be worthily, or unworthily, not the person. None of us is worthy. And so we're talking about how we do things, our behavior, in other words, our lifestyle, our conversation. Is it worthily or is it unworthily? How do we walk in this world today? Ephesians 5, 3 through 5 says this, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as becometh saints. Uh, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So there's a way that you can walk and, and your lifestyle can communicate being of worth or worthily. That conversation and lifestyle can be worthily. That's how you do it. Uh, in and of yourself, you are not worthy or unworthy. None of us are worthy except the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to make that distinction. And it's a supper not only for consecrated people, but it's a supper for confessed people. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight through 29 says this, But let a man examine himself. So in other words, I'm not to examine Jay. 
I'm not to examine David. He's not to examine me. We examine ourselves. If, a lot of times if we will just focus on the things that we do, we really won't have time to be worried about focusing on somebody else. Uh, so let a man examine himself. Let so, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup after the, he examines himself. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, not examining himself, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So without the self-examination, without the look at our life, then we are not taking it serious. We are not really focusing on what Jesus Christ did for us. And how do we do that? Well, Lamentations 3.40 says this, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Psalms 119.59 says, I thought on my ways and turned my feet into thy testimony. So as we do a self-examination, as we look at our life, as we look at our conversation and lifestyle, and if we find anything where we're walking unworthily, then we, we get that out of our life. We confess it. Um, and we judge ourselves. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says this, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And I, I know I've said this before, and I'll say it again. God's already dealt with your sin, and he's dealt with my sin. He doesn't want it anymore. Cleanse yourself. Clean yourself up. That's what he's called us to do. Uh, and we have... If you have the Spirit of God and you have this book, and we do, then you have everything that you need to cleanse yourself. Uh, and it's, it's very easy. You know, it's kind of the picture. It's kind of like if I don't ever get in, the, get in the tub and turn the water on and get the soap out, am I going to get clean just by looking at it? No. That's the same thing. We, there has to be an application from this word that cleanses us. Uh, and we have to let it do it. So key, next key is biblical self-examination. And that's key there as well, biblical. Uh, should always lead the believer to confess and forsake any unrighteousness. So, you know, if I look at my life and say, man, yeah, I'm really not, I really shouldn't have done that. And I just leave it at that. Then there's really no self-examination from a biblical process of God speaking to me through his word to show me in his word that what I'm doing is wrong. Uh, and so if we do it biblically, like God has called us to do, if we search and try our ways, we turn our feet toward his testimonies, we repent of what we've done, then there's always going to be the leaving and the forsaking of unrighteousness. The problem for us is we just, sometimes we love our sin a little bit too much. You know, we don't, have, we don't look at sin the way that God looks at sin. If we looked at it the way he looked at it, then we wouldn't still be participating in it. And that's free. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we will truly confess it and turn from it, he's going to forgive us from it. Uh, and more than likely, we're not going to be going back to it. So um, it is to, this is to make a child of God examine himself. If, without self-examination, there's going to be self-inflicted damnation. And... So what am I talking about? Well, well, we'll get to that in just a second. So what you want to, when we see the word damnation here, we're not talking about damning somebody's soul to hell. What we're talking about is judgment or condemnation brought on by our actions. 
Uh, more on that in just a second. So next, a supper for common faith people. Common faith is your next blank. I'm usually done quicker than this. We've got to get going. So, so uh, Titus 1.4 says, To Titus, my own son, and after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So there, scripturally speaking and biblically speaking, there's a common faith. Well, there's also an uncommon faith. Uh, and so there is a common faith that we should all have. Uh, 2 Peter 1, one. I don't think it's on your screen, but it says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So these ordinances that we observe today, biblical, biblical direction from the, Lord of God, from the Word of God, uh, those are just examples of the common faith that we should all be practicing and doing the same thing. Not our spin on it, not our take on it, biblically what God has told us to do. So for those two reasons above that we just saw, you know, the Lord's Supper is for people of like faith or common faith or the like precious faith. So, you know, if you're a guest with us, praise the Lord. I'm glad you're here today. But if you think this is literally God's, Jesus' body and blood, then you don't need to partake today because it's not. It's just a picture. It's just a type. And if you believe that you're somehow you're getting some kind of you know, extra, extraordinary or extra special channel of grace you know, through sacramentalism, then that's wrong as well. And so that, that comes from self, you know, our self-examination of what we need to do uh, through a biblical process. And lastly, this supper is for a cautioned people. Caution goes in your blank. There's that warning that comes at the end of this passage, 1 Corinthians 11, 30 through 34. For this cause, and after, after that self-examination, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Uh, for if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, so in other words, we haven't judged ourselves, we've been judged by the Lord because of our rebellion, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, uh, that you not come together into condemnation. The rest will I set in order when I come. So in other words, don't be coming, you know, you want to defile the Lord's Supper, stay at home, you just fix you a TV dinner and, and you know, don't come, don't come here doing that because we're not interested in that. So, um, God cautions of the consequences of profaning his table. First of all, he says that many are weak, and that means simply that they are, they're sick. They've got a disease or they're weakened. They've got a physical infirmity uh, because of, they've taken unworthily of the Lord's Supper because of their actions. And if they keep doing it and they keep rebelling against God, it says that many are sleeping and they're dead. That means, that's what that means. Uh, I know you don't believe me, but look at first. If you look at First Thessalonians four and thirteen, I don't think. I'm sorry, I didn't put that on the screen either. Y'all are gonna fire me. Uh, but it says, "But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus did, died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him." So we're not talking about taking a nap. They were taking the dirt nap, right? Uh, because of their uh, profaning of the Lord's table. And Hebrews 12 talks about chastening of the Lord. And this is a familiar passage. We use this in our teaching and discipleship. Uh, chastening of the Lord simply means that you are being punished 
because of your rebellion, because of your sin. Uh, starting in verse 5, it says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not now the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, and are you bastards and not sons? Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father's spirits and live? For verily for a few, day, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be tar- partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So chastening of the Lord is not suffering for the Lord. Again, they're spelled different. So, chastening of the Lord means that you have rebelled against God, you have sinned, and you are continuing in rebellion, and you have not self-examined yourself and brought that sin before him and confessed it and turned from it. Suffering for the Lord's sake means that you are suffering because you are doing things that the Lord has called you to do. Uh, And we are to suffer. That's part of his will for us. And so, we need to make that distinction they were not making that distinction. They weren't suffering. Uh, they weren't sickly and dead and, and weak and sleeping because they weren't suffering for the Lord's sake. They had profaned his table. And so the remedy for such condemnation is, is examination. So verse 31 says, For if we will judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So if you examine yourself then, and you biblically do that, and you do it from that process, there's no way you can come to his Lord's, to the Lord's table unworthily. You will always do it in a way that's pleasing to him. But the result of not judging ourselves is damnation. God's people are cautioned to avoid the Lord's Supper if they were becoming because they were hungry. In other words, they were messing up the picture. And just like Moses got punished, we will be punished as well if we, become, if we mess up the picture that we're talking about today. And eventually, and as we wrap, wrap up here, we are to do this and tarry for one another and wait and focus on the Lord's death till he come. And so, you know, as we close, Leslie, if you'll go ahead and come. You know, I want us to kind of just transition just to maybe start looking. at If you have, I hope, pray to God you've already done it. Um, but just to self-examine and look at our lives. So, you know. Today, as we look at what it means to absorb the Lord's Supper, that, you know, there may be some that have examined themselves and uh, realized they aren't of the faith. They have never put, the, you know, all these things that we've talked about today, that's all well and good. But if we've never put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and shed blood that he uh, shed on the cross for us to save us from our sins, uh, then we need to do that today. All we have to do is admit that we're a sinner. Uh, and our sin separates us from God. We must believe that Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the grave on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians 15. And last, we must, must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, and that's a very simple thing. You can do that today. And I pray that if, if anybody's here that needs to do that, uh, they would have the courage to do that. If you come see me, come see Jay. Uh, the scriptures say that today is the day of salvation, if we will hear his voice. And for those of us that are saved, praise the Lord. I'm glad, I'm glad you're saved. Uh, but maybe we need to examine ourselves, not other people. Examine ourselves. And if there's unconfessed sin that we have that we've been holding on to far too long, today is the day to lay aside that sin. 
um, because it, as the Hebrew says, it can easily beset us. Uh, we need to put aside that weight because God has called us to work. It's time to get busy. Thank you.